0: this week on waxing the porpoise g baby and the usual suspect steve answer shares timeless question if i could turn back time and head to 1950s los angeles to rap about the star-studded 1997 neo-noir banger la confidential join us as we interrogate imdb and their proprietary without mercy rating system endure quite possibly the best bad review of all time and ask the question have ye valediction boyo Kevin Spacey does such a great job in this movie, you'll be thinking, me too? More like me three. Two scoops sir. Two? Make it three. I'm not driving. Let's wax this porpoise cut to look like a movie star. All right, welcome back to Waxing the Porpoise. Back again on episode 59. We are covering L.A. Confidential this week from 1997, directed by Curtis Hanson. As usual, you got myself, Jim G. Baby said they called you Sugar because you gave it out so sweet. <laughs> and of course, to my virtual right, we have the usual suspect, Steve. LAPD shitbird, get the fuck out of here! I'll call your wife to come get you. How's it going, friend? <laughs> Wonderful. It
1: was worth it was worth the, the reload.
0: Uh good to have you back. Good to be back. I'm ex- I'm especially excited to talk about this one. This is one that I've been recommending, or I I've I have. I had recommended uh in the past to you quite a bit. Probably same along the same lines as Chinatown. Uh which makes sense cuz they're pretty similar kind of they're in the same milieu. Yeah. As it were. Uh You've been recommending this period, since it's like since Obama. That's how long you've been recommending the
1: movie. <laughs> Damn.
0: Yeah, I used to have uh I want I don't know why one day I like had it up to here with like <laughs> the level or like, I don't know what the straw was that broke the camel's back, but I was like, I'm going to hand write on with a pen and paper, a ton of movies like that Steve's never seen must see. I even with, threw a little like kind of synopsis, yeah, like not synopsis, but like a little mini tidbit about each yeah. movie. Brief,
1: brief description. Uh, <laughs> some were starred and highlighted. It was a, eight and a half by 11 piece of paper front and back. Dude, I, think I, I might have, have it still it. somewhere.
0: No, you gave it, you gave it back to me at oh, some point. I? I can't remember when this happened, but yeah, I have it right here. Oh shit. Yeah. I, I highlighted certain ones too. <laughs> it's funny to go back on this. A lot of these we've done. Well, and the show, descriptions and a aren't
1: like, uh, A 1950s style L.A. noir detective. It's like, this movie's dope. Russell Crowe's cool in it. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) It's like shorthand descriptions.
0: Yeah, like this one, Bill Bill Pullman, Rosanna Arquette for Lost Highway 2000. Fucking sick. Asterisk. Um, (laughs) I highlighted a couple. Yeah, we've done a lot. We did Chinatown, uh, The Limey. We're about to we're gonna do clay pigeons here short dude. Last detail with Jack Nicholson. That's a good one. I keep forgetting about that. We should I should add that to the queue. That's really good. Prestige, uh, LA Confidential. We're finally getting to Blade Runner. Yeah, a lot of good ones, but yeah, that's a fun blaster. What a the past. fun little relic. Yeah. That is a modern day relic. Fucking something on paper, handwritten. What an idea. Um cool. So yeah, we're kind of as is the theme of the show, we're kind of coming full circle on some flicks that, that I love. And Steve has never had the fortune of seeing until now. Yeah. This should be a fun one. I'm, I'm I'm excited to talk about this and see what you thought of it. Besides me harping on it, had you at 97, this came out. So you were probably in like fifth, sixth, seventh grade, something like this. Like, had you heard about it over the years or.
1: Yeah. I remember, it? I remember seeing it advertised. Um, it was a big deal at the time, obviously never saw it. I got the book used years ago and I tried reading it a few years back and I gave up after the first chapter, maybe.
0: Wow. It just, is it his prose style?
1: Yeah. There, there there've been a few books like that where it's like, I read the same paragraph over and over and I, yeah, I don't, I can't get into Yeah. It's like, I can't get into the rhythm that he's writing in and, you know, it's not a short book, so I was like, instead of just trying to slog my way through this, um, I'll just move on to something else. But that was that was my only experience with it.
0: Okay, quick. I, I was going to save this for trivia, but why the hell not? Um, so, an interesting tidbit about this author. So, this is adapted from a book, L.A. Confidential. I guess it's part of a uh, quadrilogy. It's called the L.A. Quartet uh, by James Ellroy. They're all spaced like with years in between. So it's more of like an anthology. I don't I've never read any of them and I didn't do the research but uh behind all of them, so I don't know if there's a through line that connects all four, or if it's just like, you know, slice of life like takes a pic a snapshot of these cops in this era. I think it later gets into like the later fifties, maybe into the sixties, but it's primarily like nineteen fifties LA.
1: Do you know if uh, the Black Dahlia is part of that? Because I have that one too, f- but I haven't
0: read it. That's the first one of James Elroy. That's the first one I know for sure. I'm pretty sure LA Confidential is the third one, although I could be wrong. I think it's it's Black Dahlia, White Jazz, uh, LA Confidential, and the fourth one is The Big Nowhere, I want to say. No, no, no. LA Confidential is the second. That's right. Yeah, it goes Black Dahlia, uh, LA Confidential, White Jazz, uh the big nowhere um but yeah i guess this is kind of adding to like this james elroy guy maybe maybe not being up his own ass but he the the term was coined elrovian prose like after him but then i saw some other stuff like it may have been he himself who coined this term <laughs> oh god i hate that but it was kind of like happenstance thing like like he submitted a manuscript to like his publisher and they're like, "Hey, this is way too fucking long. This is like 1200 pages or 1100 pages. We need you to cut it down." So he's like, "Okay." He's like, "Fuck that. I don't want to have to go through and re-edit, take shit out, fuck with my plot, etc., etc." So his grand idea was like, "I'm going to go in and edit out as many verbs as I can." Oh, weird. And he was able to cut out like 250 pages just doing that. So he's like, fuck yeah this is cool i'm gonna do that so like later in his writing career he started doing that and it's like this more like quick abrupt in spots uh uh like staccato uh rhythmic prose i guess is what it's been called i haven't read any of these books but maybe that's why like you couldn't get into or maybe that's part of the reason but at any rate, I thought that was interesting. Like, he's like, ah, fuck it. All right, I'll just start cutting, hacking verbs yeah. out. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's it worked out. So uh, be that as it may. Uh, yeah, so this, this was adapted uh, from a novel. And I guess he was, a. I think he has a credit, maybe a writing credit. But uh, he had to give like, you know his blessing on this. And I guess the big thing about this film too, that was interesting is like, he thought it was like unfilmable, like on un, unadaptable. And I, they did take liberties with this movie because the book is so sprawling and like, like really hard to wrap your hands around. And, and like, I mean, a lot of people, they didn't want to make this movie because it's a lot of, a lot of characters, big ensemble. It's like character story driven, you know? So the, So it's a tough sell to studios who want something like a safe bet action, you know, something that's going to fill the seats. And uh, I think this movie is pretty thoughtful, you know, like it's, it's not Um, like an action movie, although it does have, it it is punctuated I think in the key in key moments with uh, uh, action that adds to it, but it is a very character driven uh, story centric kind of kind of flick. What do you think?
1: Yeah, um, and without without getting too much into the weeds of the book versus the movie, there were a few things that I thought were noteworthy. The main one, which might be why it, they thought it was unadaptable, could be related to the the big reveal that we find out you know three quarters or whatever of the way through, right? We're, and which was like the biggest oh shit cool moment of the movie for me. Uh, It wasn't even in the book. The the twist that we learn, you know, who's really behind everything later on in the movie, apparently in the book, that's known from the beginning, which I could see taking a lot of the kind of the Mm. punch out of the story delivery.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that'd be a different movie if you knew out of the gate. But I I mean, some features and like miniseries and things have done that before and you ride with it and it it can be interesting, but, um, Hmm. That's interesting to think about if, how this movie would hit you. Cause I think the scene you're talking about that I don't want to get to right away. I'm really tempted to, but, um, dude, I, I watched this pretty young. It came out in 97. I came out, I watched it like after it had done its theater run, and it came on HBO and I stayed up late and watched it. So I was like eighth grade in 98. By that time it had made its way to cable and I watched it by myself and I was like, Oh, yeah. you know, like, yeah, it's, it, tough it to, adds- it's, a, it's tough to say, but I, I liked it. I'm glad that they did that and made yeah. that change. With the movie.
1: Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, it went from, I mean, I think it just, it goes without saying this movie kicks ass and anybody who doesn't like it is really Can fucking dumb. Um, but yeah, it went from like, this is a really cool, enjoyable movie, to like, oh shit, this adds like an additional dimension of yeah. me enjoying it. You know, it's like salty sweet. It's not, you know, there's like a there's a depth of flavor there that wasn't there before that Yeah, I was I was stoked when it went there. Yes. I do have a fun oh man. <laughs> in in the world of sanctimonious cunty movie reviewers. <laughs> this person is their king or queen. I, I'm not sure of the the gender, but this is the last level boss of just self righteous. Nice. There there are words and references in this in this review that I don't even understand because it's so so above my head as far as like cin- cinema critique. So I'm I'm gonna have to have your assistance on this, but. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that I, later. It's it's a real treat.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah, we'll put a pin in it. And I'm no expert, but I know a few things about a few things, but I can tell I'm going to love it already. And it's going to be a This
1: review was written dumpster fire. with the person's eyes rolling so far back in their head <laughs> the entire time. You probably just their see ass, white.
0: Their their eyes are pointing to their asshole.
1: Yes. So, I awesome. do have two small issues with plot points in this movie one i think is just, okay
0: but first we can get out of the way that yeah li- you did like this movie oh i loved them. it i awesome. thought it was
1: awesome It's yeah, probably I, one of
0: i thought that i thought this was a slam dunk but yeah no oh, i yeah. i did think i was like i mean if it's pretty crazy too you look i didn't even realize you look on rotten tomatoes i'm pretty sure it's a 99 critic yeah. and 94 audience so yep I exactly mean, and of course is, IMDb, i wasn't really a- going out on a limb
1: of course, IMDb is just like the clearinghouse like of mediocre. Eight point two, like really, it's a it's a B minus. <laughs> I don't understand. It's like what's IMDb. it take?
0: It's like, oh, you're not Shawshank Redemption? Okay, fuck off. You're not getting yeah. anything higher than an eight point four.
1: Yeah, any any good movie you like, <laughs> for the most part, I bet if you look it up, it's between seven two and seven six.
0: Yep. Yeah, IMDb is. IMDb is like the great filter. Like, it's like the, I don't know, or the great attractor, whatever you want. It's, it, it, uh, they draw a pretty hard line.
1: Yeah. I feel like, I feel like they're just doing like a, like they're just doing math and they're not, they're not taking into account like a weighted average, you know? Because if you look at one star versus five star, they're not, the same you know and i feel like there should be
0: i don't i don't even know what i'm trying to say but it's not just no i get you because sometimes i feel like five i feel like five star is like a little bit too limiting sometimes Mm -hmm. and you can get stuck in like oh that was a three when it was actually like not that's not a three like movie that's not i don't know what i'm trying to say but maybe and then out of ten maybe that's too far like it gives yeah. you too wide of a spread but maybe it's a good thing too because you know it it judges things pretty realistically like you know not like it takes a lot to be exceptional you know like on a job review kind of thing too like you don't want to be puffing up people and stroking their ego hardcore cuz that that's got that's a double edged sword too but anyway i just saw this too like heat 8.3 wow usual yeah. suspects 8.5 casino 8.2 it's like What's it take to get to break that seal of nine, yeah. you know, like, but anyway, sorry, I stepped all over. You were talking about, you had two critiques.
1: Um, It's more of like one critique that I, when I was watching it, I was like, I don't buy this. And the other one is more of a, a question that I'm hoping, I'm hoping it goes from a critique to you can explain to me why I'm wrong because it was another thing where I was like, yeah, I don't buy that either, but I I could just be missing something, but they're minor. Okay. Yeah, shoot. Well, we'll get there.
0: Oh, okay. Cuz they sort of come line. later
1: on, but um Gotcha. Okay. I did see a yeah. couple like just a couple little quick pieces of trivia up top that I thought was interesting. The role of Bud White, which was Russell Crowe in this movie. I saw there was a couple people who possibly would have played that i can't i the only one i wrote down that i thought would have been really interesting was michael madsen i like that i like that dude a lot i feel like oh he, yeah he would i can see him
0: doing a good bud white yeah and and i it, could totally it, see that especially this read, time uh, frame he was more in his prime yeah.
1: yeah I also read that curtis hansen he cast russell crowe in this after seeing
0: him in romper stomper yeah yeah which i don't know if, if you've seen that right I have never seen that. I only know okay. it by reputation that he played a neo Nazi skinhead. Yeah and I heard a, a soundbite from the director Curtis Hansen and he said, I saw him in Rumper Stomper and uh so I knew he could get he could handle the br- the brutal side of Bud White and and he's like he's like I flew him over from Australia and, and I had him read for like one little scene and uh he's like that's my Bud White He's like this guy.
1: Yeah, the the quote that I have here is he found him repulsive and scary, but captivating. And if anybody (laughs) has not seen that movie, it's not particularly (laughs) good. But the thing that is, I guess you could call it funny to me is, uh, yeah, they are Australian neo-Nazis and unlike a movie like American History X or The Believer, where you follow this person's arc from hate-filled, evil person to they find redemption or whatever. That's not Mm -hmm. romper stomper at all. Like it just kind of ends with people dying. There's no, there's no, like I see the error of my ways. It's kind of just, yeah, we're going to keep being Nazis until we die. And oh man, not everyone survives, but yeah, there's no damn. So that's a a
0: very, it's way more bleak even than the believer. and (laughs) Totally. So well, if
1: that sounds like something direction. you're into, <laughs> yeah,
0: you'll love it. Yeah, I thought it was funny. There's a couple fun anecdotes about our two leads who are Australians um, uh, by nationality. And I thought one that was interesting and I think was a really smart move in like you know, hindsight's 2020 armchair quarterback. But Curtis Hansen was like, I guess he read – uh, like the whole LA quartet and he read LA confidential and he loved it so much that he wanted people to experience the movie and the story like he did with fresh eyes and not knowing anything. So he, he thought at the time, I think Russell Crowe had been in a couple things. I, I think he had been in virtuosity. He played the villain in virtuosity with our man Denzel, yeah. um, uh, which that's a fun movie by the way. But anyway, I don't want to get sidetracked on that. Um, but he was relatively unknown, especially in the States. And, and Guy Pierce was even less <coughs> known. Um, he was in like some crazy, like drag, like, I think it's called Priscilla. Something It was kind of like a, a two Wong Fu with, uh, Swayze and Snipes that like, they, they did like a traveling drag circus thing. Um, so he was super like uh, unknown, especially in the states. But he, um, Curtis Hanson, the director, he was like, "I want to get unknowns to come into this, so people are kind of like disarmed a little bit and don't know what to like." Th- so so they wouldn't have uh preconceived notions about like this actor or like, you know, just wanting them to be kind of like nobodies and, and and latching onto them and follow along with the story, which I mean, like I said, hindsight's hindsight's twenty twenty, I think that was a really smart move. Um Yeah, and he picked two really good guys. I, this, I yeah, they're they're great actors and they went on obviously to do a lot of great shit Gladiator, Guy Pierce and Memento. Mm-hmm. Um Ton of ton of shit. They've been in a lot of stuff that's really great. Um, but and another like go another layer further that I thought was interesting. Um, I watch I watched a back uh, like a behind the scenes vignette on YouTube. I found it was like an eighteen minute behind the scenes um of the making of this, and they were interviewing Guy Pierce and like all the major players, the director, and uh, I guess Guy Pierce. So Guy Pierce and uh, Russell Crowe were both born in Australia or sorry, not born. They were raised in Australia and they identify as Australian. They have Australian nationality, but Guy Pearce was born in England. His parents are English. And then he immigrated to Australia and lived there. And then Russell Crowe is a Kiwi by blood hmm. of his parents and then moved to Australia. So those two, they had like a, they had a close bond and like kinship being like, you know, australians but not you know yeah. like uh playing playing them on tv i suppose but uh i thought that was fun kind of interesting thing and they i guess they got along like like famously you know so i think that adds to like their on-screen chemistry and because i bought it you know like the the head and then coming together at the end like it, it felt yeah. it felt real to me yeah which totally. i think was the benefit of this of the movie
1: yeah, I was a little worried early on when we first meet Exley and he's Mr. Paragon of Virtue, everything by the book. I was thinking, please, God, don't be like up em from Saving Private Ryan the whole time. Yeah. The guy, just the stick in the mud, Mr. Ideologue. I do everything by the book. And it it's weird because you right. find yourself like, come on, dude, just bend the rules. Be one of these dirty cops, which is not like a... a that's not a position you want to argue from, but it's like, dude, come on. Don't be such a tight ass.
0: Yeah, you're the night watchman. It's like, how how like how like long a shift you been on? It's like, take the fucking 10. It's like, quit being a fucking baby. He's like, oh, no. I, I'm good. He's like, come on. Buy yourself a pair of loafers, which yeah. I looked up today. $10 is the equivalent today's money to like $689, which, I mean. Jesus. I wouldn't say to no to 700 bucks, you know, but. At any rate, yeah, I I was a little worried about that too, going into it. I, like as a youngster, as like a fourteen year old, I was like, oh, this is our okay, this is our fucking blue well, plate special. Such, like,
1: yes, sir. And it's like a caricature, you know? It's like, okay, we get it. You're the fucking hall monitor. You're the teacher's pet. You're the yeah. You're the really <laughs> do gooder. But yeah, so that was really cool to see him sort of get closer to russell crow and russell crow kind of to soften up a little bit and get a little closer yeah. you know they sort of met in the middle
0: yeah a little bit good observation yeah they do do that huh they have they have interesting arcs and then they like they 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 hit a balance and they have like an understanding once we get yeah. at the end even through even i mean we'll get to it but even through like backstabbing or, 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 just being like done super dirty, you know, but they're, they're able to like keep a cool head just enough to understand that they're both being played and then, and then they come together, which is awesome that they, they kind of, they give you the whole movie to let it breathe, to get to that point, um, which I, think, I liked.
1: I think the only other tidbit I read about the movie, I didn't even write it down, but I thought it was interesting. <clears throat> From the book or as it relates to the book was i guess in the book Exley is actually a war hero and ah. they're like this guy's a badass because he took out this like whole platoon of japanese soldiers but mm-hmm. the truth is he got there and they were all dead already and he just kind of took the credit for it uh. which would sort of add a little bit of like okay this guy isn't isn't all so clean cut you know right. so i thought that kind of was a cool little character detail that they, they didn't leave in for whatever reason. But
0: yeah, I could see. Cause I mean, this movie is kind of long. I think it comes in at like two hours and 18 minutes, but yeah, I would have been okay with another five minutes of exposition, maybe showing that backstory and adding, but it I don't feel think, super long to me. Yeah. It moves pretty good. It's a, it's a, it's got a nice flow to it. It doesn't have any like, I don't. Re- I don't have any negative marks for this movie, but normally, even in something really good, even like Zodiac, that's like two hours and thirty-five, they could have tightened that up just a scotch. But yeah. I'm fine that they didn't too. Um, or like Specter, yeah, which we did last it doesn't week. Doesn't feel, feel that like, way. I feel like
1: they could have trimmed a little fat
0: off that Zodiac. No, uh, Specter, which we talked about last oh, week. Oh, dude. They could have cut out a, f- <laughs> a fucking leg of that fucking movie, Jesus Christ! But yeah, I I don't think um, that's interesting. But I think there's enough here that you understand. Like, y- you get a good snapshot of Exley, and like, hi- and he's got a, a well-defined arc and everything like that. But uh, that's interesting. Um, I guess to it real quick. I I wrote some notes that I want to go. Have go in vain, but I thought it was interesting too about how like how we open up on like L.A. and it like you have this narration from other none other than Danny DeVito, kind of talking about the city of angels, you know, the place where hopes and dreams of new life, where any man can have a house and this and that, and there's movie stars right down the road, and like and he even says it, you know, too, like how it's like. uh but there's like a CD underbelly and like the city's selling an image and like that, that whole kind of like fifties era, like Hollywood kind of stuff. It just to me is like, all right, I'm in, you know, like, yeah. I, I like that kind of, uh, that era. And yeah. it took me later in life, like starting with like Chinatown to like, I was like, Oh fuck, man. I want to watch more movies like the big sleep, like the Humphrey Bogart, like the, like the anti-hero private investigator who's got like a backstory and, and he's, he comes across, you know, like some crazy plot and he's got to figure it out in like forties, fifties LA. I don't know something about it. Just, I, I just really dig on it. Probably which in no small part is why I like the new, Perry Mason revival uh that they just did fucking awesome show if anyone hasn't seen it it's fucking great um check it out it's on HBO right now they just finished season two I hope they make more because it's fucking really good but uh it's right it's right there I think that one's a little bit earlier because our main guy Perry Mason and that he is a world war one uh vet so I think it's like late 30s so right around the same time of uh, Chinatown, like pre-World War II. Is it set LA. in L.A.? Yeah, and it's oh, okay. Perry Mason's in L.A. as well. It's So, yeah, I would say if you if you really dug on L.A. Confidential and you like Chinatown to yeah. Perry Mason, you're well, right I really
1: I really like that actor, that Matthew Reeves. He seems like a super dude, cool
0: dude. I didn't know anything. I only knew that he was in The Americans with Kerry Russell, and it was on for a handful of years, and a lot of people liked it. I didn't know him from anything and i was like who's this fucking guy yeah and uh dude he went you over immediately he's awesome
1: i heard him interviewed and like i didn't know him from anything obviously but i was like god damn this guy's charming and
0: just super cool and interesting yeah and he's british as fuck too and then he he's able to like i never i never would have guessed he was british could have seen him in the movie he's got like total american accent like dope Mm. boy like you know war hero that's been dis- disillusioned by the war like a, f- a fucking broken person uh, he's kind of like the opposite of Jack Nicholson's character he's a private investigator but he's not like this dandy kind of character like fucking he's got a cool setup he's like broken and fucked up and he works his way back anyway we're talking about L- LA confidential but, but Perry Mason's fucking awesome I loved it if you're a fan of LA confidential or Chinatown I implore yeah. you to check out uh, Perry Mason because it, it'll hit that like you're chasing the dragon for something like that right there um but so and I, I to get out of the way too, like some table setting for LA Confidential it, it kind of it hits us right at the beginning so and a lot of this movie too I wanted to say is uh a lot of the events are based on real events that actually happened, which I thought was interesting too. And they kind of, they, you know, did fan fiction around it and made this story, which I thought was kind of cool that they paralleled, uh, some of the, the true events. But one of which too is what we touched on in the, the Viper room, uh, episode we did, um, mickey cohen's name came up he was a big la organized crime mafioso dude um who i think at one time he owned the viper room or some property close by but anyway um he gets brought down because i think they allude to it in the film too like if it worked for uh capone fuck it we'll use it here they went after it they couldn't hit him on anything like rackets or drugs or anything so like all right fuck it Federal tax evasion, so he goes down. It creates a power vacuum in L.A. for organized crime, <clears throat> and that's where we—that's where our story starts. Right there with this, like you know, this monster with its head just been cutting off, and and now there's like multiple players, and they allude to later, like it's even drawing outside interest from like Cleveland, Chicago, New York, wherever you know, because I mean. Even even in the fifties, LA is a huge fucking city. You know their top guy just went down. It's like the wolves are out um, to take over. You know, um, and then so we're introduced very quickly uh, to Russell Crowe, which I really like the scene a lot. And it, I think they do well in a short amount of time to give you like a backstory and like a motivation and like okay, I I think I understand what this guy is all about obviously russell crowe he plays bud white he's he hates wife beaters he's against he has a real thing about domestic violence which we learn about later but it opens up on you know he's he's in his patrol car with his partner and he sees a woman getting beat up on i love this scene how he comes out he's like why don't you dance with a man for a change like that whole part and he fucking just bodies this big fat dude is beating on his wife uh, and he cuffs him to like the railing of his house. And he's like, he's like, you're going to go away for like a year and a half. And he's like, you f- you've laid a hand on her again. I'll hit you with a kitty raper beef. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm like, you know what they do to kitty rapers up in Quentin? Like, so I thought they established like, okay, I understand this guy. He's a fucking meathead with a heart of gold. Maybe, maybe not enforcer kind of cop, dude. Yeah. And that's kinda, him. Not
1: kind of not afraid to go outside the bounds of, Uh, probably correct protocol, but for good, for good reasons.
0: And we're still in like, you know, I don't know how much this is Hollywood or how much is fact, but I got to think it was a lot looser than it was today. You know, like maybe not quite wild West, but cops could probably get away with a fuck ton more. Uh, And obviously with the lack of technology, it was easier to do so. Yeah. Um, so he was like one of those kind of pieces on the chessboard that could affect that. Um, yeah, I love that. He's like, "Wouldn't you dance for a man for a change?" <laughs> uh, and then, then we get uh, the man himself, Kevin Spacey, uh, Sergeant Jack Vincennes, Which, I mean, I'm going to set aside art, artist, all that shit.
1: Yeah, he fucking rules anything in this movie. about.
0: He's awesome, Kevin Spacey. But he's fucking rad ass in this fucking movie. Yeah. I liked his character a lot, and when I say I liked him, is like I hated him, sure, in spots. Yeah. But and I like that's the other thing. A lot, it's it's not just one character. There's multiple characters that have an arc, right? Yeah, like he's got his own arc, and he he plays kind of like this, uh, like he's a vain. He's making side deals, so he he's not as brutish as our Bud White, played by Russell Crowe. He's he more he he knows how to game the system. He's smarter. He's kind of like a dandy, like he dresses real nice, and he's also the technical advisor for a TV show that coincides with all this called Badge of Honor, um which it seemed kind of like like a dragnet style yeah. show, like just the facts, Jack, you know, like that yeah. kind of shit. Um. So he's got this like he's got he's got a lot of shit going for him. He's wheeling dealing, and he he likes the attention. He likes like, oh yeah, I'm the advisor on the show. So that's him. He's kind of like this, like he's uh, kind of like a snake, you know?
1: Yeah, but it, but it works for him.
0: Yeah, he's got charisma. Like he knows how to like he he's he's got that that something you know where people want to be around him. And but if they knew like the real truth like he's probably still still at this point when he's like riding super high he's probably still got something in the back of his head it just it takes through the course of this movie it takes uh certain things for it to like come to the forefront but um, i mean if you look then,
1: if you look at him versus Exley versus bud they're all very effective at their job just in very different ways because I, yeah. I I obviously didn't really like Exley at first, but then when you see him interrogating the, the kids, those three Dude. kids, it's like okay, this guy might be a, a giant douche, but he's really good at his job. And yeah. same with same with Bud White and same with Kevin Spacey. Like they're very very different, but they're very effective in their own way. So yeah, totally.
0: And uh, so, yes, that I. That's probably one of my favorite parts of the movie, but then we get introduced to Ed Exley, which that's a pretty rad fucking name. Uh, played yeah. by Guy Pierce of, <laughs> of memento fame. Um, he's been in a lot of shit. He was also in, he's more recently in Prometheus as old man Wayland. He played, uh, he was in Iron Man three. He's been in a lot of stuff. He's a really good actor. I like him a lot. Um, uh, he, so, and he, he also has an, he's got a chip on his shoulder cause he was like the son of fame detective Preston Exley. So he's got that going for him. The familial police thing. He's trying to fucking live up to his old man's sh- step into his shoes and live up to his shadow. Um, he's young, probably the one of the younger, uh, detectives for sure. He's very I- idealistic. Um, He's, like, at the opposite of the end of the spectrum, uh, if you have them set apart, uh, Bud White on the right being, like, you know, willing to bend the rules, do whatever it takes for justice, even if it means being what you hate kind of thing. Whereas, Exley's, like, by the book, fucking justice, like, to the letter. But... He also has this thing like he's trying to jump ahead. He's trying to maybe not get the notoriety a la Vincennes and that kind of juice, but just to like, he's trying to get ahead. He wants to be like chief of police maybe one day is like his goal, and he's going to do whatever it takes to get there if it's selling out cops or uh, still doing it by the book, but just being like that, the ultimate hall monitor as an adult basically, like, you broke down. Um, yeah, I thought, I was like, it started out, he's like this, like, straight edge. okay, this is our poindexter, he's only concerned for justice, but, you know, even he, as we come to see early on, he strays from, like, the notion similar to Vincennes and his pleasure derived from notoriety, it's like he's trying to get ahead in the department and outshine his father, you know, like, get out of that shadow and, like...
1: Yeah. So yeah, it seemed like his biggest priority was legacy. Right. Vincennes was like, I'm just looking out for number one. Right. And and Bud White is like, I'm just out for justice, which is ironic because he's the one who steps outside the bounds the most. But he's right. the one who, if you think about it, or at least for me anyway, like he's the one who's actually looking for justice the most, but breaking all the rules the entire time to get right. there.
0: But it's interesting, too, because even though he is, like, I think he's called, like, a blunt instrument at times in this movie, he also, he is smart, though, too. Yeah. He's just, like, never really given that chance. And I like how, you know, I think we alluded to in the last episode, like, show, don't tell, like... Later on in the film when Bud's like, yeah, I got there's something about the night owl, you know, there's some there's something nagging at him and he starts digging into it more, you know, it shows he's not just, you know, a meathead. He was just willing to do that kind of shit, you know, and and go that hard. And I think when he when he the exposition he gives our Kim Basinger play uh that plays Lynn Bracken when he Finally, when he's vulnerable and he opens up because he's fallen in love with her or whatever, and, like, he talks about his scar. Dude, that was pretty brutal, man, when when he's, like... Because I don't think I really took it or remembered it from when I watched it when I was a kid, but when I watched it, especially this time for the show, when he's, like, yeah, I watched my fucking... I was handcuffed to a radio yeah. my dad beat my mom with a tire iron and she's dead. And they didn't find me for three days later until a truant officer showed up. It's like, fuck. Like, that's so, like, I'm like, if I have to endure three or four hours of boredom, I'm like, fuck, you know, yeah. it's like, can you imagine sitting for three days with no food or nothing and understanding what happened and seeing your dead mom? It's like, that's got to really fuck someone up.
1: Yeah, so this this brings me to plot point issue number one,
0: and I don't
1: think you're going to be able to talk me out of this one, okay. but
0: how could you ever love a whore? I found myself, yeah, it's tough. I guess it takes a certain kind of person, but... Mommy issues. Yeah. Which I I mean, I can't, I just can't imagine ever falling in love with a hooker. Yeah. I mean, she is a really nice hooker. I would say she seems very (laughs) like, like understanding. And she seemed like she'd be really caring and like make you a fucking sandwich after and like be just like really nice about things. Like not, I don't know. That's the impression I got from, from her, but yeah, that would be tough. Like especially an old reconciling, okay. like fuck her body counts in the triple digits for sure. Like goddamn, quadruple for sure. <laughs>
1: I mean, she's in her mid to late forties.
0: Yeah, just the numbers game. You're never gonna be the best for her. And well, you and have they had have that.
1: that. Uh, I can't remember if it was. It might have been with Exley later. There was that exchange. Oh no, it must have been with Russell Crowe, where he's like have you banged like 10 people today? And she's like,
0: just two. And then they start. Oh fishing. yeah. she's like, like, oh yeah. Like the half dozen, oh, the half dozen guys you screwed today. And she's oh, like, God. Uh, and actually it was only two. Yeah.
1: <laughs> like that's supposed to be romantic. <laughs> like, oh yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. I kind of like that. I liked their back and forth how they were kind of just like, I mean, you can say if if anything else, you can say she was comfortable with who she was, and she she wasn't like uh, no Sharon Stone flashing her shit all over town, you know. Like she she seemed kind of like uh, unapologetic. Classy. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say she seemed just like a classy dame. I thought.
1: Yeah, like a high end, days. like a high end yeah. call girl rather than hooer.
0: Yeah, and plus, I mean, like. I mean that that's got to be a, a feather in your cap too, if like if you're the one that brought her out of that, you know, and like made her go straight, you know. Like, I
1: think they call that <laughs> Captain Save <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah,
1: but it's also like buying a cab when it's reached its end of life. Like, oh yeah. cool, now you have a, an old Crown Vic with yeah, eleven million the, from the miles on auction. it. <laughs>
0: it's a caprice
1: uh it's a salvage title
0: yeah <laughs> that was the plan to give you a boner <laughs> and you got one <laughs> um yeah kim basinger is in this as well i think she's notable too because i mean i don't want to be down on her i think i think she did great in the film but she wa- i'm pretty sure she won a, an academy award for best supporting actress she did in this film yeah. that year Um, which again, I, I'm not trying to throw shade or like, I just didn't, it didn't hit me as like, Oh fuck. That was Oscar worthy, right? but who knows? Maybe the competition was thin that year and I'm not trying to take anything away from her performance. I thought she was great in this film. Um, and
1: I was was reading of all the nominations they got that year, but they only won for Best supporting actress and then one other one. I think
0: they got screenplay.
1: Something like that. But then there, which was kind of surprising. I thought they would have won more and a different category, but then I saw do you know what they were up against that year? No. They were up against Titanic, which won like
0: everything. <laughs> Pack it up. Yeah. Good goodbye. Hey man. Miami Wise is number one your show. <laughs>
1: Yeah, Yeah. so so maybe it was kind that of a nod sucks. to like, yeah, you guys deserve something, so the only category we can't logically give to Titanic will throw you a bone and give you Best Supporting Actress for Kim Basinger? Yeah. I
0: don't that know. That sucks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's rough. Yeah, that, so Kim Basinger, Best Actress, they got Best Writing Screenplay Based on a Material Previously Produced or Published 1998 Winner. Uh, they were also nominated. They were nominated. That's I mean, that's a pretty big like uh you know merit badge to just even be nominated. But they got nominated also for best picture, yeah, uh, best director, best cinematography, best art direction, best sound, best editing, and music. Uh music, by the way, Jerry Goldsmith from Chinatown, those fucking horns, boom. Oh, I love that shit.
1: I wasn't sure if it was just my lack of cinematic knowledge, but I obviously was just thinking of Chinatown this entire the entire time I was watching this.
0: Oh yeah. I even the music, like if I could close my eyes and they muffle like the the actors' voices and you just hear some of the like the the fu- those fucking horns that LA fucking <laughs> I would have been yeah, that's Chinatown for sure. I used to back when I when I was still in college, I was fucking uh like when I would study, sometimes I would just put on the soundtrack of Chinatown, huh. Jerry Goldsmith. I'd just fucking put that on repeat and fucking jam to it. Like that was my fate that it put me in the zone because there's no words, you know, to like latch on to, it's just that background, like <clears throat> I pictured myself just, like, smoking a cigarette, like, like staking out, like, <laughs> like some femme fatale's house. But, um, yeah, so this got nominated for a lot of shit. That makes a lot of sense that it, it went up against Titanic. Damn, that's, like, but still, uh, yeah, this was highly renowned flick. And it also, another fun trivia tidbit, I guess I'll insert here, is... This I guess the movie studio was having a lot of doubts about it, and like they were worried about what was going to happen. So I think the producers and the director—I don't know if they were in cahoots—and the director went went along with it later. But I think some of the producers and/or the writer Brian Helgeland caught wind of this, and they were like, "Oh fuck, we don't want them to shelve it for like a year or two, and like, or make it go straight to video or something." So they fucking like clandestinely took the final cut of the movie before it was released in theater, before they had planned like the release date and all that shit. And they fucking absconded with it to the camp F- can film festival and fucking screened it without studio approval. So I thought that was fucking pretty punk rock. Like, yeah. Like Damn. didn't tell the studio, like, I guess you have to get there. Like there's channels that all that shit. Has- yeah. They fucking submitted it. Like, yep. We got the paperwork right here. Uh and it got selected and it blew up at Cannes Film Festival. I don't know if this was in ninety-six or ninety-seven. Um, but it then it got rave reviews, people were like, Oh, it's fucking great. So the studio was like, Yeah, fuck yeah. And yeah. So yeah, I thought that certain- was interesting. It's like it's risky. You're 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 rolling the dice, but you if you know- have a lot
1: of belief in in the the product though, you know it's going to be received well and then how could anybody be mad at you after the fact but yeah that's a huge that's a huge gamble
0: yeah i mean because studio execs you know you think about like i mean you would think getting into that business they'd be big movie buffs or they'd like have some understanding of the technical side but more and more it's like it's really just got about be about the money you know and these people are just like you know pencil pusher types that aren't as invested in like the actual material, they just want like, okay, what's a known, what's the safest bet. And they're breaking it down on a different level than, uh, maybe. Well, I
1: imagine, I imagine now everything is like an algorithm. Like all the Netflix people are like, we want a movie starring this type of person about this type of thing, because all of these topics are very popular right now. And it's like, we don't care if it's dog shit, but people are going to watch it. So, right. case
0: in point fast 10 that just came out the fuck fast and the furious 10 10 just came out it's like dude what are we doing i just thought dude i should bring it up towards the end of the show because it's really funny and someone tweeted and they captioned like uh it's vin diesel and tyrese at like a movie premiere for fast 10 and they're like, these men are both on cocaine for sure. <laughs> and dude, it's pretty spot on. It's pretty funny, but um I don't know where I was going with that, but yeah, like there's the fast 10 out now. And like, you know not you have the whole MCU, you know, like superheroes are big right now. it Yeah. It, but at the same time, I will not to like forgive or be, or or be too easy on it because I think there should be more room for like good shit. That's character driven like this movie and like independent features and things, those things are still getting made. I mean, because there are still people with money that are willing to risk it and bankroll shit that they think is actually good. Not that's just going to like get a return on my fucking investment, you know, like, well, I I mean, you have lots of examples Uh, I'll even take it a step.
1: I'll take a step further. I don't blame these studios for pandering to the masses. I blame the shitty, non discerning consumer who's like, totally, hundred percent. Like, yeah, I will just show up to watch this dog shit movie because
0: it's fun. You know, like, yeah, right. Like it's a roller coaster ride, or like. Even if it's shitty, I'll convince myself that I like it because it's part of this thing that I like, you know, like MCU yeah. case in point. Like I like a lot of the MCU movies, but there are some that are just trash that they're, they're terrible. The newest Ant-Man that just came out, Mania, unwatchable. It's hot garbage. I don't think that, I've that's seen
1: a single one of the Marvel comic. First movies. Ant-Man's
0: really good with uh, Paul Rudd. He's awesome in it. He's got that Paul Rudd thing going on, and it's fun. It's just fun. But dude, the last one, even the second one, was kind of garbo. But no, it does. I totally agree. It's 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 it comes down to the people that are fucking. You vote with your dollars, thing. You know, it's like money fucking talks. So yeah, yeah. Studios. I mean. Not to say that they're looking out for everyone, but they're also supporting how, how many thousands of people that have jobs. So like, once you get to a certain point, it's not about like, oh, I like this kind of movie or I want to see this kind of movie. It's like I'm running a business and I have well, employees. Yeah, imagine- I have shareholders, blah, 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 blah.
1: Well, imagine you run a restaurant and you serve only dog shit food. Um, if you're making a lot of money serving dog shit food, that's not on you. That's on the consumer who is just eating dog shit food.
0: Right. Yeah. And if they like, wanted okay, something better,
1: you would have to pivot and provide something better, but they don't, right. so you don't.
0: But and and to I know we're seesawing a lot on this and it's not related to the movie, but I think it is. It it this day and age too, it's interesting because of how you see it with music too? people cutting out the traditional, like middleman of like signing studio deals because you're able to go viral on YouTube or you're able to just throw your shit on SoundCloud, like post Malone. That's how he got fucking famous. Like you're able to kind of like guerrilla radio shit in different ways now too. So, which as soon as that's identified though, then it starts getting locked down on. And then more and more ways to like, get out of those trappings of being locked down by like a studio or someone that's seeking to like manage and distribute and get their cut. It's, it is easier now to like, I mean, even people have shot stuff on like a phone that looks really good and that's gotten them in the door to like a uh, a film to make, you know? So there are there for as many things like that are like algorithm based and like, you know, like it's just, it's just about money there. There are still those avenues. Cause we are still getting a lot of great movies and, and great films that are like independent in nature and that aren't like just big studio schlock. But anyway, yeah. sorry, I'll get off yeah. that fucking soapbox, but um, it is, it is, it, t- it does tie back to this. Cause some of the stuff I saw, like the director was talking about, like this is a big gamble for the studios and sometimes they do make gambles and we get, good shit like this that's like you know like two unknowns in your lead and you have like kim basinger you're able to bring on kevin spacey and it's this it's almost two and a half hours like like on paper this wouldn't have been as successful as something that they could have you know, thrown to an hour and a half rom-com or, you know, whatever was trending at that point in the late nineties alien invasion action flick. So,
1: yeah.
0: uh, it is cool that, this got, that this got made con <laughs> air con shit. Uh, <clears throat> I do have a fun piece of
1: trivia that I, that I only wrote down because I think it's going to upset you hit me. So Kevin Spacey and Guy Pierce both portrayed prosecutors, trying a character played by Samuel L. Jackson for multiple murders, Spacey in A Time to Kill, 96, and Pierce oh, yeah. in Rules of Engagement, uh, neither of which I've seen, and I think that's going to upset you.
0: I'm okay with that. Rules of Engagement, I don't even think I've seen it. If I did, it was forgettable. Um, How A Time to Kill was like A Time to big, Kill, big I big do kind of off-bone... Or- I kind of... I do have kind of a a bone to pick with you over that because that's a fucking great movie. Um, Damn. Put it on my tab. I should. Dude. That's such a good... dude. Samuel L. Jackson's (laughs) great in it. Matthew McConaughey. Dude. That's such a fun movie. I saw that right when it came out and I was like 12. 96? Yeah. 6th grade.
1: I remember seeing a million previews for it, but... Never saw it.
0: That's one of those weird movies. I was watching it and I was like, I like they captured like the spirit of the South or something. But I was like, I was convinced that it was like a period piece that was, that took place in the 1960s. And it wasn't until like later in the film, like it shows Sandra Bullock. She's like in the gym and she's working out and she's wearing a Reebok shirt. And it hit me. I was like, Oh shit shit i was like this is modern day like god damn anyway that's a weird aside but um dude sam jackson's got what's that line he's like uh yes they deserve to die and i hope they burn in hell dude god that's such a good movie you should watch it you really should um time to kill that, that's one of those ones that was an HBO 96, 97, 98. When it came on HBO, it would ju- it's just, to me, it's just like Shawshank. It's like, if I see that it's on or it just like someone's <laughs> flipping channels and it came on, it's like, we're watching, we're, wa- we're finishing yeah. it now. that It just, it's them's the rules. Um. <laughs> uh fuck. So did you close off? I know I kind of trampled on it. Was that your set, your second complaint or did we already get over that
1: no we have not we have not reached my second complaint slash request for clarification
0: yet okay you want to hit that
1: uh sure i mean we would we would be skipping ahead quite a bit to okay
0: well sure yeah no go ahead let let's let's go into so bloody christmas this is where we get so we've got our intro to everyone And then we get bloody Christmas, which, um, that was another true event that actually happened. And I thought it was interesting, like the, so there's two officers that are involved in some kind of scuffle downtown with, uh, six Mexican individuals. And it goes from the, the two cops getting injured. They have muscle pulls and, you know, bruises yeah, minor,
1: minor injury. Yeah,
0: minor, like, they're fine. And that's what was actual. And then through, like, suggestion and rumor and everything, and the lack of technology and communication at this time and – 1953 la it morphs from helenowski and brown like i already lost six pints of blood and brown's in a coma and then to like helenowski lost an eye and brown's being read his last rights and you got yeah. a bunch of drunk cops and then oh what do you know it's so it's christmas night they're having their fucking party all these cops are getting shit-faced and then they bring in these six mexicans that supposedly have like killed and like m- like brutally maimed their fellow officers. So their blood's up. They go down. There's a scuffle and a fracas. And uh, they're assaulted and beat. And there just so happens to be like a a news crew there. uh, And they snap photos. So this is a big black eyesore for the LAPD. And Exley is like, fuck yeah, I saw everything. Fuck you guys. I'm going to sell every one of you motherfuckers out. And he's like, I want to be the fucking... Detective Lieutenant, like, I want to fucking call my own shots, like this and that. So he makes his play for what he wants. And then he also throws under the bus uh, Jack Vincennes because he knows, like, he lives for badge of honor and all this shit. He's like, that's how you get to him. He's like, take the show away from him. So they get him. They get Vincennes to snitch on his fellow partners in order to, like, one day, like, to be able to come off his suspension, come back to badge of honor. And then he throws Bud White under the bus and his um uh his best friend Dick Stenzlin he's like yeah fucking cut him out fuck these guys up and I'll go to the grand jury and testify all that mm-hmm. happens so now Exley's like detective lieutenant and the lieutenant or the detective bureau in LAPD um and so now Bud White's like this starts the uh the blood feud between Bud White and Exley. Like you put my like my my best friend Dick Stensland, he was one year away from his pension and it's like you fucking ratted him out and he he was gonna get indicted and, and like he's he's maybe facing jail time out of this whole thing. So that that's where our setup is. Um and then we get like very quickly into the night owl, which is like everything that the rest of this movie hinges on. Um where a bunch of people are killed in the coffee shop, including surprise, surprise, Dick Stensland um, our Russell Crowe, Bud White's best friend. So he's like, fuck, he's invested in it. Excellent. He gets the call. He shows up and sees it. what do you think of this scene? Like when, like, like the setup, the shot, you see the cook shot. And then when we finally get into the bathroom and see all those bodies, like I saw this, like I said, early. So I was like eighth grade. I was like, Oh fuck like yeah hit, i was like horrified
1: yeah well i mean you're kind of expecting to see because you see the sh- the cook dead with a gun in his hand you see the blood on the wall and the blood trail into, into the bathroom, bathroom yeah. so you're expecting him to open the door and see the other guy dead and then you right. see like six dead people
0: it is yeah it like is pretty six shocking Six or seven and they're yeah. like and they're stacked Yeah. Like two were off to the side all fucked up, but there's like four or five bodies like stacked and you see like, like shotgun, like wounds to their bellies and shit. Like it felt kind of like a horror movie, like sting or like almost like slasher. Like they had been gutted or something like, Obviously, this time watching it at almost 40 years of age, I was like, yeah, that's fucking brutal. But it didn't hit me the way I did when I saw it when I was in fucking eighth grade. You know, like I was like, oh, fuck. But (laughs) (laughs) like it felt it it was like a horror scene. I was like, that's fucking brutal, man. But yeah. So all these people are dispatched. um, And then we haven't brought up James James Cromwell yet, who plays the captain. Dudley Smith, who is like, he's the head honcho. He f- fucking, he, he's God in the LAPD. Um, he shows up and he's, and Exley's like, Hey, I would, this is my caller. I just got yeah. here, you know, and he's and like, pulls on him. It and you can't have it, you know, yeah. like, which comes to the fore later, but, um, yeah. So, so this happens and then, oh, magically all of a sudden they get a a hot lead on on they call them three negroes i don't know if i can say that that's what they say in the fucking movie they say they got a description for three black guys they were driving a maroon merc mercury coupe uh over here by uh whatever and whatever and they're supposedly holed up here uh or or they just have the make of the car so they they it's like okay all hands on deck do whatever you can swift justice and so all the detectives cops they're out they're looking for these people
1: well and this is where a little bit of the uh jack vincennes street magic charisma comes in. yes
0: yeah you want to elucidate on that a little bit
1: yeah because all the cops are pounding the pavement like we've got all the records we're gonna split them up you guys just knock on every door and he's like uh i'm a talker i know people i'll find out what's going on yeah so you can Ed- tell,
0: like, he's, prob- he's probably got informants, like, little informants sure. in, like, pockets, like, in, like, Santa Monica, like, everywhere, you know? So, like, yeah, that would be, like... So, that's another thing. A lot of the, like, the main characters, they have, like, little ins, or they, like... They have the X factor. They they, they have that, that extra juice that propels yeah. them forward. And Exley sees this in Vincennes and, like, sees what's going on, you know. And he's just like, I'll take those odds, you know. Like, fucking let's go, you know. Like, Because like, he can identify, like, oh, I can use this because I know Jack's, like, a man about town. He's fucking got all these connections, yada, yada. Like, that's who I want to fucking sniff this out. So, yeah, good call. And they so they they team up, and they just so happen he like he knows this dude who was he was up in Folsom serving like a nickel or whatever like twenty years. He's like, how'd you like to make it ten? You know, and they get information out of him. I liked that scene. That was cool. Just kind of show yeah. like He's how like, suave he that is. Take about like, five minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he just fucks this guy over he's like oh yeah i'll get your brother out in 10 years let us tell it give us what we want to know and he's like hey what about my brother man and he's like he's like yeah keep the left jab up sunny you know and they fucking drive away like uh so yeah he is very snake like for sure it, it emphasizes there but so he he's got a tip and then he sh- they show up they find the the individuals uh, that they're targeting. And they also find, which just comes up later, they find two of their fellow detectives already there. And it seems like, just like, the table's set perfectly. There's a maroon 1948 Merc Coop. There are three shotguns in the back seat. They're like, okay, we're going in. Uh, And then they go up, they get the fucking... uh, They get the suspects, they bring them in. uh, And then, so we get to our interrogation scene, which... This is my, my favorite, bar none. My probably my favorite scene of this flick. Um, what do you think of this scene?
1: Uh, I loved it. I mean, obviously, this is where we we find out that Exley is not just some little do gooder. He's actually an effective cop.
0: Yeah, he's a and fucking badass. He
1: starts playing them all against each other. Awesome.
0: Dude, with the, he does it too with the, um, so he's got like a button underneath the table or like a, there's three switches, there's three interrogation rooms. And so as you, as you learn ostensibly flipping one opens a channel to the yeah. other interrogation room. So that fucking suspect can hear what's going on in the other interrogation room. And he just manipulates that like perfectly right at the like perfect sentence, you know, to yeah. like, and, and opens it up and then lets it off. And, like, dude, that whole scene is just so fucking awesome. I love that. Even as a youngster, I didn't understand, like, clearly. But even, like, being that young, like, 15, 14, like, you can tell, like, okay, something's going on here. Like, he's fucking... He, like, he's a master at what he's doing. At, at yeah, fucking ma- manipulating
1: all of these guys against each other. Just getting... Yeah just trying to get one of them to crack. And then what is it that gets them out of the station? So all the kids can escape. So, oh,
0: okay. So they're interrogating them and then what happens?
1: Do they get, they get an address from one of them?
0: Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of layers. There, there's a lot of there different is a lot things going on here. There's you know a lot of ins, a lot of outs, a lot of what have yous, so, and another part that's that's that I really liked in this interrogation scene. I'm like, oh fuck, when when Bud White he's like hearing all this shit and his blood's boiling Oh and yeah! it's getting to be more and more. And he, he, he vaporizes a chair, <laughs> yeah. like, the, like the headboard of a chair that he's fucking gripping. It just, it explodes. But, um, uh, so I think one of the guys mentions a girl, like I was supposed to like fuck her or whatever and lose my cherry. And like, this is like, like they were breaking him in or something. Yeah. And, um, so the girl gets brought up, and then Exley's like, "What girl? Where is she? Where blah 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 blah." And then I like that scene too, where he he's talking to the other guy, and he's like, "He's like, uh, you got a girl because you wanted Lewis to lose his cherry." And he's like, "But things got ugly, and you made her bleed. And then you you bled on the clothes. You burned the clothes in the backyard incinerator. This and that." And she's like, "And he's like, what? How did you know that?" And then he's and he's like where is she you know like this is your only shot if you want to get out of this alive like where the fuck is she and then that's when bud white fucking explodes and's like where is she and fucking does the russian roulette dumps out five bullets out of a six shot repeater he's like one in six and he fucking just starts clicking i think he gets to three yes like he ran pretty fucking close to the razor's edge there man like he (laughs) he fucking he clicked the trigger three times and then the dude shit his pants and he gives it up then he's like Sylvester Fitch one o nine Avalon brown corner house, oh that's right, yeah, that's what gets them out of there, so then they leave to go do that, and then while they're going to find this this magical girl all of a sudden that's unrelated to the night owl murders that they so now there's a girl they have to go uh save, they get out uh and and looking back on this and being older, it's like oh yeah he would they were let out, so like it was like once they find the girl and they get her, they're like, they hear it over the wire. You know, the radio is like, Oh, the night owl suspects have escaped. They jumped out of a second story window or whatever. You know, it's like Dudley Smith had to have like, let them out or done something because he needed to get rid of them.
1: Mm. He needed to close up all his
0: loose ends, you know, and they were part of it. They were the patsies. Like they couldn't, he couldn't risk have having them like go to trial and something happens, you know, like, left a chance like he had to make sure that's why when they first meet those two cops and they find the the night owl suspects the first cop shoots and actually's like whoa what the fuck are you doing and he pushes the shotgun up like because he was like they were on a seek and destroy mission because they were working for smith like they were gonna go there kill the three black dudes and say yeah they resisted arrest blah 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 they're the night owl night owl killers done um, but they weren't counting on Exley and Vincent showing up at the same time and doing quote unquote the right thing. So that's what like later on I was like, oh yeah, he had to have like l- made sure that they escaped so that they, they could get them later. Um, one thing we skipped over too, and I think this is actually, this is the one <coughs> negative or minus that I give this movie. Maybe not the movie, but the, the character or maybe they were just that dumb, but when he asks him about, like, you know, where do you get your drugs, blah, 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 and then he he gives up, like, a known address or place that they frequent, he's like, yeah, uh, Roland Everett sells, you know, Red Devils up on Bunker Hill. And then after that, when they escape, quote unquote, yeah. uh, Exley's like, uh, let's go here, and sure as shit, that's where they are. It's like, why would you give up... Make up an address, any address. Why would you give them the address of your drug dealer and like the place where you would go as your default to like lay low? Cause that's where they find them. And then they're then actually kills them there too, which that whole scene was fucking at the time when you're watching it, it's like, Oh fuck dude, this guy it's adding to his, uh, like record like of of he's not a poindexter he just goes in and he he shotguns fucking four dudes yeah one of which in that elevator he took a big chance with too like later on i was like what if there was an old lady in there too or like what if like there was a young woman it's like that's pretty ballsy to just stick your gun in a fucking closing elevator and let go like
1: well i think i think the elevator shot was kind of the the rubicon or the tipping point because you could even see the look on his face where he was like, I shouldn't have done that.
0: Yeah. This is not really what I'm lucky. supposed to
1: do, yeah. but, uh, I did it because it needed to be done. So yeah. I don't know.
0: And it's like Dudley Smith earlier asks him like point blank. He's like, are you willing to, uh, yada, 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 like art- or
1: like rough somebody yeah. up
0: or, and would you be willing to shoot a man in the back that you knew dead to rights was guilty in the off chance that, that you know, he would get off in court or something later. And then he's, he's like, no, of course not. He's like, I don't have to do it like you or my dad did whatever, you know, like, um, yeah. but yeah. in that scene, it's like, yeah, you, you just did it, man. Like,
1: yeah, because sometimes it, I mean, it needs to be done.
0: Uh, well, in this case it didn't, and they were wrong. Correct. So you are correct. But I, I tend to be more on that side too. Like, you know, I don't, I don't know if I want to go down this moral road, but I mean, because it's all subjective when you say like, if, but if you knew, right. Like you knew for sure this person did it, then yeah. yeah fucking kill them. Fuck them. Like if you knew this person just cut someone's head off kill them yes do that but it's like right. how can you ever know you're not you're not in it you're never in anyone else's viewfinder you know like how do you know dead to rights that's where i kind of like in my mind's eye but
1: well yeah and i mean we talked it. about extensively people who've been wrongly accused
0: of stuff so right
1: yeah i mean you shouldn't
0: <laughs> yeah that statistic you gave me i was like jesus fucking christ man like all the, what was it? Like the wrongfully con- convicted. They find out later after they've gone through the death penalty rigmarole.
1: Yeah, that's on the yeah. murder part two, Florida wrongful convictions, and these are death row convictions.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. It happens a figure, lot, but yeah, I mean, but be that as it may, uh, so. I mean, even all the detectives that once hated him, now they like Exley. They're like, hey, good job, kid. You know, and they call him, like, Shotgun Ed and all that. Who would have (laughs) thunk it? You know, and, like, all this shit. So he's king shit now. Like, yeah, this guy fucking – he's killed, like, how many people? Four people in, like, two weeks becoming lieutenant. So, yeah, he's really rocking the shit. Um and then, then we kind of go on a side story of like Russell Crowe, Kim Basinger, their relationship, yada yada yada. Um, and then I, I think that kind of adds it's soft. It's maybe it's meant to soften Russell Crowe up, like because it shows him he he starts having a crisis of confidence, like being the muscle, and that's all. I mean, we we skimmed over this, but the Captain Dudley Smith recognizes this trait in russell crowe's character as well and he's like yeah i'm gonna use this guy's muscle and just fuck people up and like the shit that i'm doing on the side but uh later on as the film progresses russell crowe becomes aware of this and like he's he's like you know he has that scene in the victory motel where he puts water on his face and he's like like he's having a he's having a fucking crisis you know like thinking about you know, am I, am I just like an attack dog or, and I think he talks to Kim Basinger too. He's like, I know there's something wrong with the night owls. Like if I could actually work cases and be given the chance, like I can do it, you know, like I'm not just a fucking pit bull on a leash kind of thing. But yeah. Um, so then this is where the film kind of starts to morph into like uh, Guy Pierce. So Exley and Bud White, they kind of have something going on. And then Jack Vincennes too. He's, he's doing a side deal with like Danny DeVito. Like he's like, he's getting leads on people, popping them and then putting them in the tabloids. He makes money off of it. He's starting to have a crisis of confidence in that too, because some innocent kid that he's set up to get arrested, uh, gets murdered. And he's like, Oh fuck that, that like, that's like the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back for him. He's like thinking like, I've been doing it the wrong way and all this. And yeah. like in his head, like I, I, I need to do the right thing, quote unquote. Um, and so him, so Vincennes, Exley, and Bud are all having like doubts about the night owl murders. And they all kind of come to this realization uh, roughly at the same point kind of like just through like hearing their dealings and seeing shit happen. Uh, Fleur de Lee, this Pierce Padgett guy who we haven't talked about, but they're like, something's wrong with this. Like something's gnawing at them. And they, when, once they start digging further into it, um, they come to realize that the real, the who's really behind this is not who they say it is. They don't know that it's Dudley Smith yet, but this brings us up to the point where um, Kevin Spacey's character, Jack Vincennes, is getting really close to the truth, and he doesn't know how far it's going. And so his first thought is to go to his captain Dudley Smith's house at midnight because he's got a hot lead on something. Correct me if I'm wrong or if I'm glossing anything here.
1: Well, the only, the only thing I would add prior is Exley telling Vincent. Yes,
0: that's important. They're just having like a chat, I think, and they're both – I think they're – he's like, is anything bothering you about the night owl? Like like wh- it, it seems too perfect kind of thing. I think he, he started getting an inkling too because the, the girl that he saved – he was like, they, the killers left you at midnight, right? Because it had to fit into the timeline of when the night owl murders occurred. And at first she was like, yeah, th- it was them. And then later on, he's like wheeling her out of the hospital. She's like, yeah, I don't know when they left. And and, yeah, and then I, she kind of owns up to it. Like, who's going who's gonna to believe some Mexican girl from Boyle Heights fucking yeah, this and that? She's like, I, I did what I had to do to get justice for the, the people who. Right.
1: Fucked me over, and and I I think that's when, Exley is is telling, Vincennes about his dad, a little bit, right. and and when he gets killed, and when and, and that's when he says or when he reveals the name Rolo Tomasi, and right. Vincennes is like, the fuck is that, like who's that?
0: It was supposed to be about justice. Then somewhere along the way, I lost sight of that. Why'd you become a cop? I don't remember. I really bought that. I love that whole scene. Like like he's broken as fuck. And he's like, he's like, yeah, I don't, I don't fucking know. Like, I don't know why I became a cop. I don't know what I'm doing. And, but yeah, that actually tells him the story of how his dad got gunned down by some unknown perp shot six times. And he called him Rolo Tomasi. He made up a name to give, that person like a backstory or some kind of character just other than like, you know, some unknown assailant killed my dad. So he thought of it in his head. He's like the guy who killed my dad, Rolo Tomasi. And he's like, that's why I became a cop because I wanted to fight for justice. And the guy like to, to get the guy who got away, you know, like, yeah.
1: Cause, cause Rolo Tomasi is more than just a name. It's, it's like representing an idea of, <laughs> of, of the guy who gets away, you know? The guy who escapes yeah. justice,
0: right? Yeah, I, man, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. But that was this this whole that in putting that in. I don't know if that was in the book, but the way they play it out is it just wasn't fucking perfect. It wasn't. Yeah, this is yeah, this is a real stroke of genius. Like putting this whole shit in there with Rollo Tomasi. Uh, it harkens back to Kaiser Soze, which is yes. also a Kevin Spacey vehicle. It kind of gave me yep. those kind of vibes a little bit, too. Of like the, It's like these all these twists and turns in this movie, you know? Um, yep. But, uh, oh, yeah. I, I, wanna, I don't know if this will fit here, but I wanted to put this James Elroy soundbite in before I forget. This is the author of LA Confidential. In 1988 and 89, I wrote L.A. Confidential. It was big. It was epic. It was huge. It was a book for the whole family. If the name of your fucking family is the Charles Manson family. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I loved that. Something about that. I was like, oh, man, this. you're a real card,
1: Reed. That... That audio clip tells me everything I need to know
0: about that guy. I think so, too. Because that's how I felt. I was like, "Oh, okay, this is who he is. This is one of these guys. If your fucking family was the Charles Manson family.
1: (laughs) Okay. He kind of
0: looks like one of our former coworkers, Matt. If you can imagine him like 30 years older with just like a cop stash.
1: that's a deep look it up
0: maybe lighter skin tone but anyway so where yeah. i last cut
1: you off you were talking about um deadly confronting vincennes
0: yes so this is so we have actually has gone to vincennes expressed his concern and his, uh, doubts about the night owl and Vincennes is right there with him. He's, he's investigating something kind of tertiary, but it's starting to like bend into relating to the night owl and there's players involved. And, um, so he's like, he's like, yeah, let's go. Um, I'm going to go here. You go there. We'll investigate this, that, there is a funny part before the Dudley Smith scene when they go to like the Formosa restaurant, and he's like, "Let's go braise Joey Stompanato, one of you know Mickey Cohen's former lieutenants, drug lieutenants or whatever." And he's sitting there with, uh, who actually thinks is God damn it! So this guy Pierce Paget he's running Long a group Turner. of whores that are cut to look like movie stars. Patches yeah. running, whores cut to look like movie stars. That's another thing. It drones. There, I think that something to that effect. Like cut to look like movie stars. Like they. Th- that line is said by like three different people at three different points in this film. But yeah, um, that's what he does. So, uh, so like, there's like a. I got my. I got my. Um, Veronica Lake is played by Kim Basinger, yep. who is Lynn Bracken, who is like. These are stand-in prostitutes, like primo tail, as Danny DeVito says, to look like movie stars. So that's like, that's the cachet. That's that's the the X factor for this guy. This, I mean, he's a pimp. This Pierce Paget guy, he's that's what he is. Um, just very high class pimp, I guess. Um, so Vincennes and actually go into. The Formosa, there's Joey Stompanato with who who actually thinks is one of these whores cut to look like movie stars, Lana Turner. And he's like and he's talking real tough with her, like, hey, sit down, babe. And like, I'll take you downtown and like, shut (laughs) up and shit like this. And he calls her a whore like like you're just like a whore that looks like Lana Turner or something like that. And Kevin Spacey's like, she is Lana Turner. He's like, what? And then she throws the fucking water in his face. And this is like one of the few levity moments that like that you buy because then they go out to the car and they don't say anything and fucking X has got water in his face. He's just been embarrassed and fucking Kevin Spacey's got this shit eating grin and he just kind of chuckles. And then they have a little chuckle, you know, so that like adds to their like teamwork, like fucking buddy cop movie. Like, okay. It's you and me. We're going to figure this fucking thing out. I, I like that scene a lot. But anyway, they're like, okay, let's fucking split up. I'm going to go to the frolic room. You go fucking here, whatever. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to go hit up uh, Captain Smith and see what he thinks on this. Which I don't know, man. Between this scene and the interrogation scene, I don't know which I like more. And I don't think it's a fair comparison. But this this scene is the one that fucking just really like, oh. Gut punched me so. So as we know, so Vincent's getting really close to the truth. He goes to his captain, top dog, like thinking like, like what would you do? You'd go to your mentor, your like you know whoever for like, hey, what do you think of this? You know, and like try and get their notes and their take. And you come to find out, Smith, Dudley Smith is he's in on this shit, and he fucking cannot stop calling everyone Boyo, which I don't like. What is that? I don't like it either. <laughs> I'm I'm almost positive it's an Irish thing, so I don't want to denigrate yes. the Irish. But uh, and there were a lot of immigrants during this time, and he's got a weird accent too. That kind of kind of floats in and out. The yes. Dudley Smith character, yeah. Um, like, have you got a valediction, boyo? Like, like that kind of uh, cadence it, to him. It, it seems forced. Yeah. Later on in the movie. I don't know if this guy's British either. I want to say he is. He was in Babe, you know, like, that'll do pig, all that shit. I think he's Irish. Okay. Well, (sighs) fuck me. Um, Yeah. He calls everyone Boyo, which I don't know what that means, like, dude in Irish. But anyway, uh, so, yeah, he goes to Smith, and Smith, as you find out very quickly, he's in on this shit and he he's like making a, a cup of tea they're talking about the case and blah, blah 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 and then he spins around with his fucking 1911 and just puts one shot right center mass of vincennes and he's like oh fuck did you see that coming at all yeah i kind of did when he asked
1: him like who have you talked to about this He's like,
0: yeah that that it, i wish they wouldn't have said that when i was eighth grade gym watching this t- totally didn't pick up on any of that i was like oh shit this time like and obviously i know it's coming but yeah i'd be curious to wonder if i watched this later in life if i would have picked up but it does seem that is kind of like setting the table that i think i think you told anyone about, like, about this
1: who, who else have you talked about this boy or
0: yeah (laughs) Uh, that made me think i don't know why of uh andrew santino like when he does his fucking fake stupid impersonations he's like oh yeah i can do a french guy and then he he sounds like a jamaican like rasta he's like yeah that's that or that's irish yeah that and he's doing a like complete rasta voice anyway yeah, I've, I don't think I've heard you do many, uh, like, different language accents before. That's pretty funny. I got to look up what boyo means now, too. That'd be a good colloquialism. Yeah, so our guy Vincennes gets fucking blasted, and I like how it... It, it's very cryptic too now because I keyed in on it. I watched this movie a couple times in this part. I rewound a couple times and uh right when he shoots him, the way Dudley Smith kind of just looks at and examines him and then kind of just like leans in like, yeah. it's dude, it's ice cold. And he's like, have you a valediction boil? Like, yeah dude he's like a fucking serial killer it's so creepy but then we're hit with
1: dude it's evil gave me chills
0: yeah yeah but and it's like it's like a one-two punch this scene is so good when it's like he's shot and it's like oh fuck and then rollo tomasi he hits him with that. He's like, Have you got a valediction, boy? Or like, oh, fuck you. You know, I just fucking killed you. You can't do shit about it. And then he hits him with the fucking roll of Tomasi. And you already know what that means because they just set it up right before. Yeah. And then so you're like, Yes, yes, that's coming. Did you also
1: think that at any point um, Dudley killed Exley's dad?
0: I did. Even when I was a kid, I was like, he was rollo tomasi the whole time like yeah he fucking killed his dad too like he was the dude behind it okay because he must have like
1: stumbled like, across something too, he shouldn't have yeah, seen he,
0: yeah i i totally <laughs> Dudley's talking about older his dad watching like, this, i was like yeah i still feel that way okay i think he, i think he was like but when i think about it more maybe that's just like wanting it to be too clean in my mind, like Hmm. to wrap up all these loose ends and maybe has nothing to do with that. But I don't know why, but for sure, when I, even when I was a young lad and now like my gut reaction, when you get all the way through the end, I'm like, yeah, I, I think he did. I just have that feeling like, like that at some point, maybe his dad, like, had done something with him or worked with him on something and uh he was like no nah, i'm not saw gonna something he that. shouldn't have yeah and like that's it wasn't just some fucking purse snatcher who fucking capped him six times but um that does kind of like stitch it up really cleanly so i don't know that's an interesting one to noodle on cuz they don't give you much it's just kind of like a vibe like just like a feeling thing, but so, v- so Vincenzo dies yes.
1: saying Rolo
0: Tomasi. Yes. And so did it, at this point where you're like, Oh yes, I can't yeah. wait. Well,
1: yeah. not yet. Not at this point. I thought it was kind of, oh, okay. I kind of thought it was just like, uh, damn, that's a rough way for him to go out, but yeah. it's not until Dudley talks to, Eckley, Exley. Exley. Yes. That was the point where I was like, Oh shit.
0: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and it's crazy because I, when I'm looking back on it, I'm, I'm like, does, does guy Pierce here, does he give too much away? Like in the face? Like, cause you know, in that scene, like he could say that and then you could have the wrong reaction and be like, Oh what like Smith could be like what the fuck was that? You know like is he on to me or is something going on? And yeah. maybe he did too in that scene. Still, but I feel like Guy Pierce's reaction was like just he rode the razor's edge to being like oh no, yeah, I, I, I don't know who that is. But for like a, a second, 1.3 seconds, you see it on his face like he knows. Boom. Like yeah. This guy He's behind it all. Because yeah, what's he say? He's like he's like, Oh hey, before you leave actually he's like, Oh, we're looking into known associates of Jack Vincennes or whatever, and he's like, Does this he's like, Yeah, you got a name? He's like Rolo Tomasi, and it's all like the music is very understated. Don't you
1: have a bump for it? I think you do. Do I? I thought you did.
0: We're trying to run down a lead on an associate of Vincennes. The records check has led to a dead end. What's the name? Rollo Tomasi. <laughs> Dude, right. I'm like, oh, you got to play this right, man. You can't give too much away. But yeah. Yeah. God, I love that scene. It's just like it think all a, comes full circle. I
1: think that's the best scene of the entire movie.
0: Yeah, it's t- dude. Between that and the interrogation scene, it's tough for me. They're neck and neck, but yeah, it's it's like you know, I I think it. What is it in, in Bull Durham where he's like, "You make the show." It's just like one more like ground ball, one, with more, eyes dying
1: quail, one, one more, more
0: dying quail, one <laughs> more or like more. it's like. This movie is good as a whole, but it has like it has multiple points where it like gets you, like it's got these yeah. you know, and some you're lucky if if a film only has one of those. It's like I feel like this film has like two or three at least, yeah. you know, the interrogation, this um like maybe when Bud White finds out that like actually just fucked Okay, uh, his girl here you know? we get it's like, here oh, we f- get
1: to f- plot f- point number two that i have a serious problem with that you're okay. gonna have to talk me out of
0: hit me
1: um so when when russell Crowe finds out or when bud finds out that old whore bitch fucks Exley, she says i thought it would help you
0: yeah, I don't
1: know what How that the means. fuck does that make any sense at all?
0: Yeah. I don't know. It I I guess maybe doing some mental gymnastics for it. She could have been told something because it was finagled by Sid Hudgens played by Danny DeVito cuz he's working with Dudley Smith too and he's being told what to do. Um and he's got his own designs but i I explained it away by maybe he said something I don't I can't even think of what, but maybe he something that he told her like by doing this, this will happen and it'll be beneficial but I I don't know I mean even I kind even, of agree like even this time when I was watching, I was like, okay, what is that? like how would that <laughs> I thought this would help you. What would that thing be? by fucking this dude like how would that help you
1: yeah i mean even the scene where where he shows up and talks to her and she's like yeah I, i've heard all about you and all that and it, it seems like a weird fight that's about to happen
0: yeah and, and then, then it they turns start into kissing it's like I don't, kissing and I, don't, fucking. I don't i didn't buy that either okay all right i i just the only thing i can think is like this dude's fucking stressed out to the max and he needs to bust him nut like really badly and for her she's just like letting it ride because she's in on it she's trying to make something happen but I didn't buy like, like like why do you feel the need to fuck all of a sudden right now you're trying to get information and then all of a sudden you start aggressively kissing and like okay we're fucking now yeah that that part is a little rough to me too like i don't understand the motivation of Exley unless he's just base like neanderthal like monkey like i need to get a nut right now well i because i'm fucked up i get
1: where he's coming from i don't get where she's coming
0: from yeah and, and then I, later I to be like the, i thought it motivation. would
1: help you like how the fuck would it help
0: you yeah i don't know maybe somehow that they were going to try to blackmail Exley or like do something to him which would be helpful to Bud White I don't know. Huh. That's a good call. I I don't know what that is. So if that's a knock towards the movie then I mean they did they did a really good job with everything else I feel like but I mean they had to they were trying to create a boiling point for Right, Bud White and Exley to go after each other, and then come out of the like, you know that that post nut clarity. Like, okay, oh, we actually need to work with each other because this is happening. We're both getting fucked over, you know, and that happens, and then they're like, okay, let's let's work together, kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I mean they they could have done that without Exley fucking her, but I don't know. If, if, if somebody's listening who is smarter than I am, I would love an explanation. Yeah, why
0: would Kim Basinger think, what would be a reason that this would be a good idea to fuck her? It seems like her main now is Russell Crowe. Yeah. To fuck his arch rival. For free. For free.
1: For free. All right, so can I can I touch on my favorite piece of trivia?
0: From in the criminal justice system.
1: Yeah. So uh, I didn't want to disturb you when you were talking about Lana Turner and Johnny Stampanato. Yeah. Yes. So you know that John, people. Johnny Stompanato is a real guy, right? He's one of Mickey Cohen's bodyguards, I think. Or, or I think Trump in the movie Jennings. he's like – Pritcher, Pratchett, whatever. Pierce So, so Londa Turner and John, Johnny Stompanato were a couple for a very long time. Um, he was so jealous of her that he actually showed up in Britain where she was filming a movie with Sean Connery. Stompanato pulled the gun. Connery beat the shit out of him. In the no. fil- <laughs> In the film company deported Stompanato. So this movie is filmed in, or it's set in 52 or 53.
0: 53.
1: Okay. So five years later, Lana Turner's um, daughter actually
0: killed Stompanato. Oh yeah. In 57 he's, she stabbed him
1: because he came after her mom and she fucking stabbed him to death
0: that's awesome that is so awesome yeah fuck yeah good for her
1: one other kind of pizza trivia is that the the cop at the end of the movie who congratulates Exley Daryl Gates who's that Daryl Gates
0: Uh, well that's isn't he the chief like the head old guy silver hair kind of looks like Mike Pence
1: yes so who's that Daryl Gates um, it's a long it's kind of a long story but Daryl Gates is kind of the the pioneer of like the militarized police
0: in real life, that guy is?
1: Yes. He's a real Daryl Gates. Wow. Like the, the LAPD, uh, like the, the the people that would drive like a fucking SWAT team truck through a house for crack.
0: Yeah, like those crazy, like tank-like looking like <laughs> yeah. fucking APC shits.
1: I just, I, I just assumed a lot of people would yeah. know who Daryl Gates is. Uh, if you ever I listen to no Ice Cube fuck the police. He talks about Daryl Gates.
0: Oh shit. And that's the real guy in this movie. That's yeah. fucking crazy. Yeah.
1: Pretty. Uh,
0: I never would have guessed it. Cause he plays pretty subdued in this film. Like he's like, yeah, we need forthright trusting, you know, clean cut men to represent the LAPD. You know, like he doesn't, that's wild.
1: Well, I think it's just the guy at the very end when Exley gets his extra metal.
0: Yeah. Huh. But. Maybe I'm confusing him with, uh, yeah, I'm, pro- I think I'm probably confusing him, but still that's crazy that he's in, in this movie. Nuts. Um, I, since we're on the uh, trivia and we're almost in here at the, towards the end of the flick here, um, I have a, a quick aside by one of the most interesting names that I've seen in the cast list. So uh, you probably didn't notice this, but the gal- the actress's name is precious Chong. Mm. And she was the woman at the very beginning on Christmas night. That's getting beat by that dude, that Bud white. We open up on him uh-huh. beating up the wife beater and, chaining him up. And then he's like, Hey, you got somewhere to go. The redhead right? gives him the wallet. And it's like, uh, excuse me, Merry Christmas, ma'am. That ch- basic white bread, just white woman. Yeah. Her name is precious, precious Chong in real life. Uh, sh- so she is, can you guess who she is? No, <laughs> she is none other than the daughter of Tommy Chong of Chishin Chong fame. Huh? So, and I didn't even realize this. I, I, I never realized I thought Tommy Chong, Even though with his name being Chong, like, you would think, like, oh, yeah, he's probably, like, Asian, Southeast Asian or something. I always thought he was Mexican, like, with Chich Marin, like, because it was, like, yeah, man, like, like that whole vibe of him. But I guess he is – his dad immigrated in, like, the 20s from China, and his mom is Canadian. So he's half Chinese, half Canadian, and he's a naturalized Canadian citizen. Um or nat- naturalized U.S. citizen. He was born in Canada. Uh, so he explained, so that's his daughter. They were him and his wife, Shelby, who is a white woman. They were huge uh, uh, fans of this soul singer in like the 50s or something or 60s. Uh, Precious. And so they named her after that uh, soul singer, Precious. Her full name is Precious Shelby after her mom. Lorna Flacina Chong. Tommy Chong and his wife Shelby were huge fans of the soul singer Precious Wilson, who is a family friend of the Chong's, and she herself is Precious Chong's fairy godmother. How fun. <laughs> How fun indeed. I thought that, that blew my fucking cat back. I was like dude because i remember this time watching it i was like i was watching through the credits and it was like you know somebody somebody precious chong and i was like that's a fun name
1: and then i was trolling (laughs) through
0: like i was researching this movie and i found some trivia and it's like oh yeah by the way precious chong is tommy chong's daughter and then i went down that fucking rabbit hole and like i was like dude that's nuts and Tommy Chong's still kicking. He's, like, 82 or, like, 83. Like, he's done a lot of shit in Hollywood. Like, cra- a lot a lot of shit I didn't know about, which was really interesting, but tertiary to this. Um, so, yeah, Precious Chong. And she's, like, the whitest woman I've ever seen. Like, you would never guess that that's yeah. who she was. She looks like her name should be, like, Betty Smith. Or Isn't like, she you know. a redhead? No. Yeah, I want to say so, something like that. She just had like a fifties, like just like beehive kind of thing. Just like hmm. she looked like Mary Tyler Moore, like just completely generic, like white, like American nineteen fifties housewife uh, is what she looked like. But um, one
1: yeah. one other so, tiny plot point I, I'll take issue with is yeah, when they when they arrange to have Eckley and White come to the motel. As an ambush. Mm -hmm. If you're arranging an ambush. You should probably get there. Before the people. You're going there to kill.
0: Yeah that'd be a good idea.
1: (laughs) Because they get there early. And decide hey. Something weird's going on. Guess we should figure it out. Before the people who are trying to kill us. Get here.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Don't ever try to
1: fucking bribe me. Or threaten me.
0: So what'd you think of this end scene though?
1: Oh, I loved it. It was awesome.
0: Yeah. Super awesome. I loved the, I love the sh-
1: shot in the back.
0: Yep. Yes, totally. I, I wrote down here too, cause so many fucking people die, but so we have a total kill count between Russell Crowe and Guy Pierce, 12 people, including at the end, captain Dudley Smith. It's like, how many cops do they have left on this force that are like in on it? You know, it's like, dude, coming out of all these red shirts coming out of the woodwork towards the end. (laughs) But I liked it because it was like, it, it added a nice exclamation point to the movie, I thought. Like, yeah. Like, fuck yeah. Like, this is badass. My favorite scene is probably when Exley notices the mattress covering a window. And he sees like the cop, he sees some people like trying to flank them and go around the side. And he's like, but the mattress. And they fucking pull down the mattress and there's two dudes there. And he's just like, Bop Bop bop!" he fucking loads that dude with like six shots. And then it turned they're like they're like diagonal on this window. And then fucking Russell Crowe hits this dude with like two to the chest with the shotgun. That scene was fucking awesome. I loved that. Yeah, I thought, and I thought it was I, tense too because like they both get there and you see a car roll up to, on the horizon and then you see another one like pull through like these bushes and he's like, Uh fuck, I I think we should get out of here. And yeah. Bud's like, It's too late, man, and he's fucking loading up, he's getting like a shotgun, he's thirty-eight, he's like, Let's go. He fucking throws him a gun and some clips. And then it's like last stand at the Alamo, like it's like, Okay, we gotta fucking hunker down and shoot our way out of this, basically. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I thought Exley was going to bitch out when yeah. uh, Dudley was like, I can make you whatever, whatever a whatever, boil. Whatever, 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 whatever.
0: Let me do the talking boil. Oh. And then he just
1: blasts him like,
0: fuck, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. And, and I dude, also that thought
1: co- Russell Crowe was dead.
0: I did too, man. And I, I kind of wish they would have left him dead because I feel like, I guess in circumspect or in hindsight this fucking at the very end feels a little hokey and kind of Hollywoody. like oh it's a happy ending you know like yeah but if you pull back it's really not a happy ending like all the shit that's happened but i mean he took like a lot of shots to like vital organs like he probably shouldn't have survived that but yeah whatever I enjoyed the ride enough to where that didn't bother me. So
1: yeah, same here. So I I, did
0: like to, when he goes like under, he's like, I'm going to go under and he fucking, he's doing a stop, drop and roll underneath the fucking house and the crawl space. And he, (laughs) he blows out that dude's ankles with a shotgun. It's like, Oh fuck. That must be so gnarly to like, look down and like both your ankles are gone. Um, yeah, I liked how they they like. I I feel like some flicks like this could kind of like fall flat because you hit like <laughs> you're at the two thirds three quarter mark, you hit that point where like Dudley Smith he shoots Vincennes. you're like, oh shit, Rollo Tomasi that, and then it kind of lows a little bit, and then we get we come back up at this ending with this fucking yeah. ending with this shootout. You know, I feel like they could they could have fumbled the ending for sure.
1: Yep, I thought the same thing. All right. Sweet. So I've got I've yeah, got two like- two reviews, if that's okay. Um, yeah, let's do it. One is just a seemingly senile old woman named Judy. One out of five stars. She says, "I thought I was purchasing a DVD. Instead, it's watch while on the internet or download. My internet won't allow." please take off my listing and credit my credit card. I'm unable oh, to watch fuck. or download. And then she includes her full name and full email address, which I will not include here. That poor woman. Unless, that poor woman. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> Here, here's my uh, favorite.
0: That's like an email you send to like the customer service yeah. Team, not your review of the film. Like, come yes. on, lady. That doesn't make this a one out of five star film. This, Take that up somewhere else. This
1: is the type of lady who gives her credit card number and social security number over the phone. Oh, plane.
0: yeah. To Zimbabwe. Like, yes. I want to cruise there. Okay. I want to claim my $5,000. I just have to send you $800 first.
1: All right. So bear, bear with me on this one because it's kind of <laughs> long and kind of shitty. And it's her name's Tracy one out of five stars on this movie. And the, the title of her review is readers from here on. You can't take the truth. It is Hollywood. That means worse than dead. The silly star I awarded this film can be tossed. Wait, to Kevin. you
0: need to stop right there. Wait, mm-hmm. say that again. The yeah. first sentence.
1: Okay, this is from Tracy. One out of five stars. And the the title of the review is Readers from here on, you can't take the truth. The first line is, it is Hollywood. That means worse than dead. The silly star I awarded this film can be tossed to Kevin. Ready?
0: Yeah, I'm ready. Okay.
1: Next line. I only watched because... Since the world is dead, with no more film directors, I still search for the last mere dying spark of a bright mind, but know in advance not to expect the intelligence that once was abundant all the decades before, before Hollywood colonialized the global eyes with mediocrity, mediocrity, in quotes, at best, leaving behind only interpretive, artists in quotes as mere actors i like kevin spacey but he's wasted in things from movies chooses to dive into which is 100 percent merday which i think is spanish for shit or maybe not so then she says i think you're right the world of art in general as well as in film has nothing else to offer anymore proof no one reading this has taken the trouble to see him, to see Kevin in his best moments live on stage in NYC, such as when he was the young lead on stage in "The Ice Cometh" by O'Neill, a great playwright the likes of which cannot surface again. Mr. Spacey is obviously a nice man and certainly a very gifted actor, but has been forced in all caps, to succumb to taking on mere work, in quotes, and the big bucks with it (laughs) among Hollywood slimy people who don't know what art is. They know how to destroy it, that is all. Nor does anyone reading this article have a clue what quote-unquote films are as opposed to quote-unquote movies. That is unless they can prove it isn't so with a word or two. That is actually easy. So please let some soul attempt it. Just let them start with John Ford and Orson Welles as a beginning, then ascend higher, in parentheses, barely possible at first. Then it gets easier if you love art. And don't allow them to sink below that opening dual standard. Then I'll know who I'm talking to. I am not even barely (laughs) semi-educated, and I can only hope to expect a humbling onslaught from a truly educated, poetic mind, hopefully near genius, to reply. And that's it.
0: Holy God. She gets it. I... I would say she th- she needs therapy, but I'm pro- I'm she sounds like she's already in therapy, or sees a psychiatrist <laughs> twice a week, thrice a week. That sounds like it. It points. It sounded like a, like a death prattle, death rattle, <laughs> yeah. and a diatribe against Kevin Spacey, and like musings of an idiot that knows like way too many $20 words, but zero substance. Yeah. I felt like I was going to have a stroke one third the way through that. Sorry. It was pretty long. It got worse. (laughs) Fuck. I pictured in that scene, like from half baked, um, like Janine Garofalo's character. She's like in that weird room. Like (laughs) she's like living in an attic in like a church. And she's like, I need Buddha. I need Christ. (laughs) I have killed. I have helped kill. Like someone like that, like slam poetry, like serial killer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) God. See, that's the thing is I get now that I'm almost 40 hearing that I feel horrified of that person in the world like that sounds like an active shooter to me I'm
1: a man I'm 40
0: (laughs) (laughs) that was intense that was really intense that's a lot to unpack there sorry that was so long (laughs) (laughs) Ah, I needed some Freddie Jackson to pull me back to fucking earth Mm, For
1: old time's sake
0: Yep Yep. Yeah, that was wild Fuck Dude, there's some people in this world It's like I don't know how you reached the age that you've reached But that's probably That's one of them Yeah That was rough
1: can you imagine her, her Yelp reviews? Jesus
0: Christ. God. Yeah, that was really rough. I don't know who these people are.
1: <laughs> um. Let's see. Well, sorry to end it on such a bummer.
0: <laughs> 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 yeah, that was a... I don't know. I don't even know. It feels like someone she was trying to like write a haiku, or she's like adding to like, uh, like a book of like, like poetry or something. I don't. I don't know. That was wild. I don't know how you could ever arrive at that conclusion. uh, Watching this film, but I guess it's not for everyone, uh, as evidence. So. uh, oh, here's, here's a fun, I have one fun anecdote that I'll I'll leave us with for this flick. So, and going back to the uh, uh, Russell Crowe and Guy Pearce Bowie both being from Oz, I don't think they like that. Have you ever heard it called, like Australia, called Oz, which is O-Z, like the land of Oz? Yeah. Like Ozzy, blah, blah, blah. Oh, going back to Oz. Anyway, a uh, couple of Australians. They are. Uh, So according to Guy Pearce on the DVD commentary, he attended a James Elroy one-man show in his native Melbourne, 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 Australia, while the film was in pre-production. Pearce notes that during a Q and a session following Elroy's performance, an audience member asked if any of Elroy's books would ever be adapted into film. Elroy replied that not only was LA confidential in pre-production, but two Australian natives, Guy Pearce and Russell Crowe were cast in the film. The audience erupted into laughter, thinking that Elroy was playing a wry joke on the audience by randomly naming two local actors and claiming they were cast in a big budget Hollywood film. Pierce, who was sitting in the audience, was mortified. It was only a year later that the audience learned that Elroy was, in fact, telling the truth. How fun! That is fun. <laughs> that kind of ties back to like the DIY gorilla like, thing that they had going on where they like took the film to can like like there was a lot of doubts about it and like like even the studio the studio was like wait what you you want two relatively unknown australian actors as your leads in like the like all american like 1950s la lapd detective force like gritty crime drama like so i mean ultimately at the end like it was like the the Cannes Film Festival, like going there, is what redeemed or like saved this film from. Uh, who knows what what the studio would have done with it? But um, like I I would shudder to think that like if this film ever would have. It's weird to think like if if the studio would have got rattled and like was like uh fuck like we don't want to put any more money into this. Let's just cut it cut it loose direct to VHS or DVD at that time and, and just go that route, like a direct direct to video movie, it would be like the best direct to video movie of all time, you know, yeah. like, but who knows if it would have got like discovered or like appreciated the way it did. But yeah, there's a, I, there's a lot of stuff I didn't realize go like, I always loved this film, but doing some of the back like cursory background stuff, on this film uh, was interesting, like how, cause I thought, you know, Oh yeah. LA confidential. It's highly regarded. One of the best it's, it's on a lot of like top 100 films. Like it got nominated for Oscars and things. So you think that, Oh, this must've been a, a shoe in from the get go. Like they knew they had something on their hands. Like, Oh, this is special. This is going to be good. But whereas like you look into it deeper and it's like way more punk rock. Like it's like, this almost didn't happen or, you know, like a lot of people had to buy into this thing in order to make it happen. So, which I'm glad they did. Cause this, this is, this is a, a, one of my favorite flicks for sure. Like I could turn, like it's, it's a Shawshank. Like I could throw it on any time and like midway through third left, I'm going to finish it for sure. Um, cool. So yeah, that's LA confidential for us. um, I don't have any... Do I have a colloquialism? I thought there was something that I, I had heard recently that I did not like. There's some stuff I like, too. Do you have anything? Nope. Or is there anything in this flick, too, that I glossed over or missed that you wanted to mention or talk about? Um. Or no, not that point? I can think of. I guess the only thing that I would end with again is Perry Mason. Like, if you're into like Chinatown, or if you like this flick, like gritty, kind of like seedy underbelly of LA, 1930s, 40s, 50s era kind of stuff. Perry Mason will definitely satisfy that that itch. Um, And it's on HBO right now. They just released the. The second season's completely done, so yeah, you could binge that if you wanted to. It's fucking super awesome. Matthew Reese is great in it. Yeah, I would say say check that out. Because now I'm like, ah, oh, fuck. There's nothing else really like that that I've found. Like between Chinatown, this and and Perry Mason, there it's like the next thing I would think of is w- jumps way into the future, like Blade Runner esque, you know, kind of kind of stuff. Like it's it's got that. Hard boiled, like film noir yeah, but, thing going but Blade on. Blade Runner sucks. So, well, we can't all be winners. <laughs> I did just watch, I re watched, I've seen it before, uh, the dad from Friends, Elliot Gould. Yeah, he's in a film called The Long Goodbye, and it's so we're in like 70s, late 70s, LA, Hollywood, and he plays. Same kind of, like, uh well, antithesis kind of to Jack Nicholson. Like, he's, like, a broken, like, downtrodden P.I., and he stumbles into, like, this weird fucking thing, this case, and he's, like, on it, you know? Hmm. He has cats. He loves his cats very dearly. I think you'd like it, actually. Um You had me. It has, like, yeah, it's- weird Ernest Hemingway kind of character th- in it that's, like, it's got, it's it's a weird kind of vibe, but it's really good. He plays like a it's it's supposed to be like a, a Philip Marlowe kind of like like fifties like dude who smokes cigarettes, PI anti-hero kind of thing. It's it's a lot of fun. I guess maybe Columbo would scratch that itch a little bit. If you've never gotten into Columbo, Columbo is pretty fun with Peter Falk. It's really good. I, nope, never seen it. I got it to, into it late in life. I think it was really big in like the late seventies, early eighties. Peter Falk. Uh, who? I wonder who you would remember him from.
1: I think Peter Falk is that, Falk the, is that is the grandpa the, from Princess
0: Bride? I th- yes, I was just gonna say that. Yeah, so that's that's who he is. So imagine him as like a fucking like kind of like a schmuck ish, lowly kind of PI in San Francisco. Like, and it's, it was a TV show and, the, and like, it's, it's really good though. It, it's really entertaining. He always, his like tagline is like at the end when he's like trying to figure everything out, he's like, just one more thing. That's his thing. And then he's like, "but what about the girl and the fucking better? And he ties it up all together, you know, this like <laughs> weird web of shit, but it it's, it, I'm probably not selling. I'm not doing it justice, but Colombo is a lot of fun. Uh, I did. not It's something that I was. Oh, Colombo, get the fuck out of <laughs> here! It's old people shit. You know, it's it's a lot of fun. Um, As you wish. Right. <laughs> um. So okay, cool. So that'll do it for L.A. Confidential. Uh, please let us know what you thought of the flick or anything else under the sun. Hate mail is welcomed. We haven't had one in a while. Um, Send it in. Wax at waxingtheporpoise.com is our email. Or you can reach out to us via Instagram is at waxingtheporpoise. Twitter is at waxingtheporp. We appreciate iTunes reviews are super helpful. Let us know what you think. Give us a rating, review, subscribe, YouTube, etc. Final thoughts?
1: So that guy who left the review on Dick's episode about his mom, the guy from the band Warplot. Oh, yeah. Tyler Nightmare. Yes. Dude, that band fucking rules. I've only been able to find, I think, one song on YouTube, and I've listened to it so many
0: times. Those guys are (laughs) fucking awesome. They need to put more shit up there. Nice. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he he's on Instagram. He post every once in a while. He'll post like he'll just do like a little bit of a ditty himself. And he's always got like a sig or beer and he's got like a holster for both like somehow like on his rig on his like what, like right where his <laughs> mic is. He'll just like crush a beer and he'll fucking like play like a minute long like minute 15 ditty. It's fucking rad. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, check out Tyler Nightmare. Check them out on YouTube. They are punks at the cinema. They have their own podcast. It's super awesome. Check them out uh, anywhere you get your podcasts. And we appreciate him for uh, supporting our show. Check out Tyler Nightmare. Fuck yeah. Um, and then also we have, I guess we're spilling the beans a little bit here. I'm going to fuck this up. We can do a couple takes. It'll be fine. <laughs> so i just wanted to give a quick shout out to or not quick i, I wanted to give a pro, a proper shout out to our friends at a cut above horror review they are upcoming on their 100th episode uh, which is a huge achievement and they've cashed it in in two years so they're they're out there super consistent pumping one episode a week for your for your ear holes uh to check out so They've just been killing it lately. They just had Sin of Villains on, which was a lot of fun for Dead Alive. Uh, brain Dead, if you will. Peter Jackson, The Frighteners. I love you, Hedgerberg. So, yeah, they're coming up on their hundreds, 100th episode, and we just wanted to give them uh, some love. Uh, they've had us on in the past, and uh, they're, just, they're just great people that, that we really enjoy.
1: Yeah, these guys fucking rule. For my Captain John's dulcet tones and affinity for He-Man and social commentary.
0: I'll get you He-Man. <laughs> 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 and Jacqueline's erudite and sage perspectives on horror and just in general, her magnanimous nature and love for Rob Zombie trash. And last but not least, Heyderberg's New York attitude he wears on I'm his sleeve. Here. and his legendary reach arounds that he spins like a spider this triumvirate there's a great group a melange if you will oh oh Oh. uh There's just a, a really great group of people. We're glad to call our friends. And we love you guys. We wish you the best health, happiness, and here's to 100 more episodes and beyond. Bang. Sweet. bang
1: What did you score on your maximum sleep evaluation? 70. <laughs> 40. <laughs> 40. Dude, I was thinking um, about that clip
0: earlier today. It's so good. <laughs> Yeah. I can't wait till we get into, uh, no time to die because Spectre a real fucking sea biscuit. And Jesus. then i I feel like no time to die brings it back. So we'll, we'll see if you agree. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of 50, 50 on it, but we will update our score here real quick. Cause we, we obviously you liked this film so we can mark this. Yeah. Uh, in our corner, and we'll look ahead to next week. I think we'll have Chris coming back on. Thank God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not to bash on you, I'm glad we haven't done a, just a solo dolo, you and me, in quite a while. Actually, just the boys. Fucking Basic Instincts or Murdoch, or no? Even that one we had Nate on. We haven't had one of a fucking cool minute. So, yeah, this is cool to do a a, a you and me flick. We did L.A. Confidential. What's that bring us to? We were sitting at 85.4 approval rate. Now we're at 85.7 dealing. All right. So next week, yep, we'll have Chris from Channel 83 joining us once again, returning champ, where we'll be discussing Navy SEALs starring Charles Sheen michael being and others so that should be a good time that is available he also has a new Max. pod coming out right he does and I, I i was gonna fucking pump it and play the his trailer for it and, and include it here but i guess it's not coming out till like sometime in july so yeah. we'll we'll let that simmer a little bit um but yeah it's i think what is it called? mount molehill mount molehill sounds awesome Chris is a fucking man. He said no, but, uh, fuck it. We'll do it live. He's doing, he, I mean, it's out there. You can look for it. So yeah, he's doing Mount Mulhill. It sounds really awesome. Yeah. Uh, I can't wait for it to come out. So his entire backlog, check out channel 83 Dude, just go to channel 83.com. I'm probably butchering that off to fix it in post, but, um, He's, he's got a huge backlog of stuff that he did solo that's really awesome, too. But, yeah, he has a new pod coming out. So I think once we get, like, later into June, we'll, probably, we'll, we'll include his trailer with his blessing into, like, we'll either append one of our shows or at the beginning. Because, yeah, it sounds fucking rad ass. I can't wait for it. Let's do it without uh, his blessing. Fuck it. Okay. <laughs> I'm fine with that. So long as he, he'll continue to come back on our show. Yeah, Navy SEALs, strap in next week. Hijinks will ensue. Should be fun. Uh, thanks for joining us. And in case we don't see you, good afternoon, good morning, and good, good evening, night. and good night. I, I, stupid that stupid, really fuck. Bad. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm holding it together a lot better than I thought I would at this point. That's for sure. Have you a valediction, boyo?
1: See?